of full transparency, I was a little nervous to preach this text from Genesis this morning. This story is a deeply personal and emotional story. It's one that has the power to hit people in very different ways for very different reasons. But before we get into all that, let us first begin by grounding ourselves in where we are in the book of Genesis and the structure of how this story is told. The story begins with Abraham, who is sitting outside the entrance to his tent. Now, Abraham is in this seated or reclining position because he is still in a state of recovery, having just been circumcised along with all of the men of his household, including his son born to Hagar, Ishmael. In chapter 17, immediately before this story, Abraham enters into a covenant with God. And in this covenant, God promises Abraham many things, but of most importance, God has promised that God will always be with Abraham. Not only with Abraham, but with Abraham's offspring and with the generations that is to come. And so as a part of this covenant, God has promised that God will give Abraham and Sarah a child to ensure that those generations will in fact continue. So there's Abraham sitting at the entrance of his tent when he is approached by three strangers. And despite his weakened disposition, Abraham immediately jumps up and extends this radical hospitality to these three strangers. I mean, Abraham goes above and beyond. He goes and gets his wife, Sarah, and together they offer these wonderful gifts and prepare this luxurious feast. Now, it's a little mysterious and something that biblical scholars actually disagree with each other on is whether or not Abraham and Sarah knew that the Lord was with them. You see, we as readers know that because the text tells us that the Lord was present, but it's not exactly clear if or at what point Abraham was aware that the Lord was in his midst. And if he did know that, at what point? Did he know right away as he was offering this radical hospitality? Was it something that happened in the interaction? Or is it possible that maybe it's something he realized sort of after the fact, particularly when he does eventually get the son of Isaac? Is that the moment when he realized that it was the Lord who was with him all along? But regardless of what Abraham knew or didn't know, one thing was true. Because of this radical hospitality, Abraham welcomed the Lord into his midst. But then, in this moment of incredible welcome and hospitality, our story takes a bit of a dark turn. 
When the Lord says to Sarah that she is to have a child, and Sarah laughs at the Lord, it is that laughter that had me a little uneasy about preaching this text this morning. There are many reasons as to why Sarah may have laughed. But this morning, I'm going to suggest that it was a means of self-preservation, or perhaps even self-protection, from what has been a long and painful process of waiting. Waiting for that moment when she would find out that she was pregnant. You see, you have to remember that this story comes long before fertility treatments, long before ultrasounds or IVF treatment, long before we as a culture understand that fertility occurs both in men and in women. In fact, the story is being told at a time when women had one and only one job, and that is to bear children and to continue the lineage of their husband in this very patriarchal society. So for Sarah's entire adult life, she has been in this season of waiting. Waiting for that month to be the month when she finds out that she is pregnant. Waiting to live into that identity of what it means to be a mother. Waiting to carry on her role that she is to perform of carrying on her husband's line. And month after month, year after year, she has had to deal with this heartbreaking grief when that moment doesn't come for her. She's had to watch her friends and family have children all around her. She has even had to watch her husband, Abraham, father a child to another woman, Hagar, and the birth of his first son, Ishmael. So when this stranger, when the Lord comes to her and says that God has a plan for her, she laughs, and I can't help but wonder if maybe that was her way of distancing herself from trusting in God's plan. Because if this is God's plan for her, and if it never happens, what does that mean for God's promise and God's plan in our lives? What do we believe about God's providential presence in our lives when things do not go according to plan. And this is true, of course, not only in situations of infertility, but it's also true for anybody who's ever been in a season of waiting. As I am now in my eighth month of pregnancy, I will admit that I was nervous to preach this text. Because one thing that I have learned throughout this experience is how pregnancy has the power to evoke feelings of joy and celebration and grief and longing. I have heard stories from, from friends and family and even perfect strangers who have told me of their own struggle with fertility or for those who have lost a pregnancy or a child. 
In fact, just last week, I was car shopping, and our saleswoman was telling Christina and I about how she was never able to biologically have her own children. And in this moment of this rare and humble vulnerability, she reaches out and says, I never got to feel what this feels like. She was in the season of waiting. I wonder if you have ever been in a season of waiting, waiting for that grand reveal of what God's plan is, because life isn't going as you thought it might go. I mean, think about this for a moment. If we believe in a providential God who has a plan for us, what do we tell our brothers and sisters in Bahamas who have just lost everything after the storm? who have been thrusted into this season of waiting, waiting to find out how they will rebuild, waiting to know if their storefronts and businesses will ever be up and running again, waiting to find out if they will be able to provide for their family. Where is God's plan for them? If we believe in a providential God with a plan, then what do we tell that family in Odessa, Texas, whose 15-year-old, after just celebrating her quinceanera, was murdered in the Walmart mass shooting earlier this summer? If we believe in a God with a plan, what do I tell this woman from the car dealership who never did have children of her own, despite her self wanting to, despite that deep desire within her? You see, this story is actually a hard story because it gets at that tension of how do we reconcile this compassionate God who has a plan for us and our world with what we actually live and experience in our daily lives. But then we return to the text. And then we read the story and pay attention to how it's being told. And we realize that God never promises that things are going to go the way that we think they ought to go. God never promises that bad things won't happen. God did not give Sarah what she wanted. This is not a story that is a transactional relationship that because Abraham and Sarah were faithful, they were blessed with a child. No, this story is a story about Covenant. The covenant that God enters into with all of God's beloved children. The covenant that says, I am with you always. I will come to you again and again. I am and always have been here. And we know this because it's how the story is told. It begins with the covenant that Abraham makes in this circumcision, saying and trusting that God will be with Abraham and the generations that continue. And then that covenant is fulfilled with the birth of Isaac because it shows that that promise will continue to the generations that will follow. That covenant extends to each and every one of us. This is a story about the covenant that we all enter into in our baptism. The covenant that declares that we have been named and claimed and loved by God and that God will continue to come and to meet us in our journey. 
Right after Abraham enters into this covenant, the Lord comes to him. Now, whether or not he knows that the Lord is there, we don't know. But we do know the Lord comes. And the Lord says, I will come to you again, which he does. Later on in the chapter, the Lord comes back and does just as the Lord says that he will. The covenant is that we belong to God. That God is fully present with us. And that, yes, God has a plan, but it is one that relates to who we are as God's beloved children in a way that God will use each and every one of us. And that we need to be aware of those moments when we want to sort of separate or protect ourselves from trusting in the plan. Because what we know that we are in is the covenant. The covenant that gathers us together as the body of Christ. At the very end of the passage, when Isaac is born, Sarah says that God has brought me laughter. And that all those who see this will also laugh along with me. It takes that laughter of cynicism and doubt and transforms it into praise and admiration. This covenant came first. This covenant came long before any of us and our experiences. And this covenant can and will gather us together as the body of Christ and bring a healing that is found through the unexplainable, unimaginable presence of God moving through our lives. That God who comes to us again, again, and again. Thanks be to God for the covenant for which we all belong. Amen. Amen.